welcome to the Redeemer 20 Sermon Podcast, where our goal is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. My name is Luke Dirks, and I'm your host, and I'm also privileged to lead the 20s ministry at Redeemer Church in beautiful Rockford, Illinois. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at our Thursday night gathering at 7 p.m. We hope you enjoy this, and we hope you also join us at a future Thursday. And I know th- th- for some of you, it's probably not that big of a deal. You're like, eh, Super Bowl, whatever, you know. But, but the Kansas City Chiefs are yeah. in the game again. And, um, and it's, it's, you know, I'm a fan. Alex is a fan. I know there's a couple other fans in here. But um, interesting thing about the Chiefs, just a little thing. They've, they've appeared in the AFC Championship game. So this is the game that plays right before the Super Bowl. Two divisions. It's the championship game between these two teams. Whoever wins those two games gets to play in the Super Bowl. So in that game, the Chiefs have been, have hosted that game five years in a row. Meaning they've gone all the way through playoffs and played that game for five years in a row. And they've won that game and advanced to the Super Bowl now three out of those five times. Which is incredible. Like it's very hard to win in the NFL. So it's a, it's a big deal of, of how good they are right now. Um, and this last time when they, when they won the AFC championship game, the, the announcer, Mitch Holstis, he said this. He said, you, know, you can doubt the Chiefs. You can dislike the Chiefs. You can even disrespect the Chiefs. But one thing's certain, you're going to have to deal with the Chiefs because they're going to be there. Um, and I'm going somewhere with that because I didn't know I was going to get an amen there. But I should have anticipated that. The same thing is true about Jesus Christ. Because you can dislike Christ. You can disrespect Christ. You can pretend like Christ doesn't exist. But one thing's certain, you are going to have to deal with Jesus Christ. Why don't you open your Bibles. Let's turn to John 5 to see this reality. While you're turning to John 5, let me just quote 2 Corinthians 5.10 for you. It says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. We must all appear before Jesus Christ. And that's why. He is, he is the beginning of life. He is a sustainer of life, and he will be the judge of life. So you can ignore Jesus, and you can deny Jesus, but one day you will have to deal with Jesus. And that day, Paul calls it the day. In the book of John, John calls it the day of the Lord. But I like the Old Testament small prophet Malachi who says, this is going to be the great and terrible day of the Lord. Because it is a very, very serious day. And so, we're going to be in John 5, where Jesus Christ talks about this day. But before we dive into this text, let's just take a moment 
and pray about this serious matter, this serious day before we get in the word together. And God, we just want to take a moment, humble ourselves under your power and authority. Lord, we recognize that racing upon us now, Lord, is the reality that we will account for the kind of person that we have been, for how we've worshipped you, for the kind of leader and church member we have been. Lord, all of it is known by you. We are naked and bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. So through this message today, I pray that you will bear upon each of us the reality of our soon coming accountability to Jesus Christ. Cause it to be real. Cause it to be significant before our eyes. That each one of us would be prepared for that day. And this we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. John 5, Jesus talks about the day in which he has been given the judgment over the earth. And this, mor- this evening, I want to take some time to get you prepared for that day. And the first point, the first thing that gets you prepared for that day is to understand what saves you. What saves you from that day? Let's start reading in in verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he is doing. And greater works than these he will show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. You see, God the Father has delegated judgment to the Son. We will go to heaven, and in that time, when we stand before Christ, Jesus is the one who makes the decision. You are going to heaven. You are entering eternal judgment. Jesus is the one who makes that call. And so, what saves you during that time? What keeps you on the right with the sheep and not separated over to the left with the goats? Some people think, well, it's by good works. I'll stand before Christ, and I'll be like, well, Lord, I did these good things in your name. I did these different things, and that's what the Jews thought. The Jews were like, look at, look at verse 18. It says, this is, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. See, they, they loved their, their laws, they loved their rituals, they loved their Sabbath. We're keeping this. This wicked person, pointing at Jesus, is not keeping this law. So he should be damned to hell. Meanwhile, they're like, it's my righteous rules, this way I keep these rules. That's what's going to save me. But they are going to be judged according to the works and how they kept the law. And they're going to come up lacking. Now, so good, good works won't save us. What about a good reputation? Now, I remember when um, 
Anybody ever get pulled over, get a ticket, and have to go to traffic court, stand before a judge? Um, only three of us are in here. Um, I've done that a couple times. Um, and one of the times when I was in California, I was at a, a, a court there. It was a big court, and they were just like, it was like cattle. And somehow it came up before the judge that, that I, was, I was a Marine, and I had, I had just served um, done my tour in Iraq, and I'd come back. And, and lo and behold, the judge was a Marine, too. And so it was like, you shouldn't have been driving that fast. But we Marines, we take care of our own. And so you need to do what you, what's set out that you need to do. But we're going to take off the fines. Thank you for your service. I said, all right. And that, in that time, I was like, man, having a good reputation can really help you in a day of judgment. It really can. Um, and it's, it's true. We're going to need a lot of grace in the great and terrible day of the Lord. But I don't think a reputation is going get to you, get you too far. Um, and so it's not good works that's going to save you in that day. It's not a good reputation. Maybe a good prayer. Has anybody been raised Catholic here? Anybody ever grew up Catholic? The Catholics have this prayer that they pray. And they believe that Jesus is going to be very judgmental on that day. He's going to be very harsh. He's going to be lacking grace. And so the person that has grace in eternity is his mom. His mom was filled with grace. So they have this prayer. And it's, it goes like this. It says, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. And the purpose of that prayer is to garner goodness before Mary. So then Mary will tell Jesus, hey, this one's good. You know, I will let them slide, right? Because Jesus should listen to his mother, right? Honor thy mother and father. It's pretty, <laughs> it's not good theology, but that's where they land. Um, and, um, and uh, you know, the Baptists have a prayer too. It's not a lot better. Um, and I grew up being told, like, if you pray this prayer, if you say these words, then you will be saved. And, and so you find that prayers don't get you into heaven either. Just like, you know, back to football, there's a reason why at the very end of the game, you got three seconds left, the quarterback drops back, and you got receivers streaking down the field, and they throw it 50 yards in the end zone, and maybe their receiver will jump up and catch it. And there's a name for that pass. What's, what's the name of it? Hail Mary, which comes from this idea that throw up a prayer right at the end, and maybe you'll get saved, and it'll work out. Well, it's not a good strategy for football, and it's even a worse strategy when it comes to death. So you don't want to be throwing up Hail Marys. You don't want to be trusting in the magic words of a prayer. Good works won't save you. A good reputation won't save you. Good prayers will not save you. In fact, did you know that there's nothing you can do that will save you? There's not an action. There's not a ritual. There's not any magic words that you can pray. If, if you want to escape the judgment on the day of the Lord, then there's only one thing that will save you, and it's in this text. Look at verse 24. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, 
Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. You must believe in Jesus. And this is not a one-time act that, oh yeah, that day when I prayed with my mom and I believed at that moment. This is not a one-time ritualistic event. This is a life-changing focus. That Jesus becomes the center and the belief of what you put your hope in for all of eternity. This brings us to point number two. Point number one, what saves you? Jesus, the belief in Jesus Christ and him alone. That's what will save you on that day. And second, to get prepared for the day of the Lord, you need to understand the spiritual resurrection that happens when you believe. So this point number two is, is to understand the spiritual resurrection. Look at verses 25 and 26. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he is granted to the Son also to have life in himself. So he starts this section with truly, truly. The King James uses the word verily, verily. And basically, it's emphatic absolute. that Jesus is uses, He uses this phrase to introduce new material. It'll be like us saying... You know, I know, I know you've never heard of this before, but I'm telling you, this is the truth. This is real. This is actually what's going to happen. And so the people Jesus is talking to would have known from the text. They would have remembered Daniel 12, 2 that reads, Those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. These to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Jesus is saying, I am telling you the truth. It's my voice who's going to wake up all these people who are asleep. Also, there is an hour when a massive physical resurrection is going to happen. And he's saying that. There, truly, truly, I say to you, this hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear my voice. And so he's referring to two moments. One is the physical resurrection, which we're going to get to in a second. But right, he's like, but it's also now, it's here. It's here right now. And this is a, a spiritual resurrection. And how can you make sure that you are spiritually resurrected and awake? Look at verse 25. It says, the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. We're born with a terrible problem. We're born dead to God. We can't hear him. We can't see what he's doing. Our mind doesn't understand the Bible or spiritual matters. Ephesians 2 says, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. Dead people don't hear. To be dead is to be unresponsive to the things of God. You don't have a hunger for knowing him. You don't want to sing worship music. You don't love the church. You have a hard time sitting through a sermon. Another way of saying it is that your emotions are dead to spiritual realities nothing inside of you gets excited about the things god is doing 
And I have a question. Can a dead person resurrect themselves? For you hunters, when you, when you kill something, do you take it home and put it in a cage just in case it wakes up, it'll be safe? No, because dead things, they don't, they don't respond. My kids got to go ice fishing um, this last weekend. And they were telling me that as they were catching fish, they just throw them down and made a pile in the snow. Um, but because it's so cold, the fish took a little bit longer to die. And so the fish are there all in a pile, flipping and flopping, right? And so they package them all up. They put them in a bucket. They, they, they take, was it in a bucket? Y'all took them home in? Yeah, a big bucket. So they take them home, and they start processing the fish, right? So they start cutting them and getting them prepared. They're going to cook them and eat them. And, um, but as they're going through, some of the fish in the bucket were still like, like, ah, they're still alive. And then they went through, and they're like, well, you know, the first thing to do when you process the fish is chop its head off. So they chop the head off, and they're making an, another pile, right? Dead heads over here, and here's the pile of fish over here. And, um, but even with the heads off, the fish were still like, I'm still alive. I'm going to make it back in the water. You know, and it gets like, oh, my gosh. Like, how is this possible? You know? <laughs> and, um, and, the, and the dear friend that, that they were with, he had inflated them. He, he put them in batter and he fried them. And then he put them on a plate and they put them and said, careful, they may still move. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> no, they were dead at that point. And so, but, but those, those, those fish, that shows that they're a strong fish. But it's, it's not um, true power, is it? Um, it's not resurrecting power that a dead thing is, is trying to wiggle and still moving. For the dead to hear the voice of the Son of God is a miracle. It has to be a miracle. You're taking something dead and bringing it to life. That's why Psalm 95.7 says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. And the author of Hebrews picks this up and repeats it in Hebrews 3.15 and Hebrews 4.7. Today, if you hear the voice of the Lord, do not harden your hearts. It's in the day of rebellion. He's saying, it is a miracle to hear the voice of the Lord. To be stirred up, to be like, oh gosh, there's, rea there's spiritual realities. Oh man, like, my sins can be forgiven. I need to take care of this. Like Christ died on the cross for my sins. This needs to be taken care of now. Yes, respond to that. Because there will be those who hear. The, the, the idea that the, the words of Jesus sink deep into their souls. That they get excited and motivated to pursue a relationship with Christ. And if you hear that voice, do not delay Respond in humility and worship and praise Christ for the miracle that he's bringing you to life. And where does the power have to come from to change you from dead to alive? Look at verse 26. It says, for as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And then look at, it's the, the, the life comes from the Father, 
and the Son. And look at verse 21, back up to verse 21, it says, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Listen, you can't, you can't give what you don't have. There's nobody in this world except Jesus Christ that has life within himself to give it to you, a dead sinner in your trespasses and sins to come alive. That only comes from Jesus. And people try with systems and religions and self-righteous acts, with good deeds. A new thing today is self-help and motivation. Like, if you just get the right guy telling you, you can do it. you got to dig down. Wake up in the morning. You're going to start your new day at 5.30, and your day is going to be different. You know why? Because you said it's going to be different. You look at yourself in the mirror and like, I am good. I will succeed. I will get on top of this. I will not procrastinate. And you know what? You won't procrastinate. You're going to wake up tomorrow. Things are going to be good for you. You're like, wow. I feel it. I feel life coming into me. Anybody else listen to Derek Thomas or any of the other ones? Like, I really get into some of those people. I'm like, yeah, let's go. I'm good. Nobody? I'm, you're going to leave me over here by myself. All right. I know y'all, I know, but anyway. But it can be false life, right? Self-motivation, self-help is false life. There's another thing that a lot of people lean into, and I know I get, this can get sensitive, so I want you to know that um, a lot of people believe that life can come in a pill. That it's, things are just so hard. I'm so depressed, I'm so down. This pill gives me life. It, it gives me what I need to carry on with the day. And though there may be a time that you need help with something like that, it's not true life. Temporary happiness, maybe. But, but what I'm talking about is the endless joy and perfect love and hope-giving power that Jesus is referring to. That only comes from a deep, abiding relationship with him. He puts in you a fountain that gives life every day. John 10.10 says that I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. You know, maybe some of you experienced this power, but right now as you sit today, you're like, man, I've just, it's been pretty dark, Paul. It's been pretty dry. I don't feel like I can, I can take from that fountain right now. I feel like I'm kind of in a desert. You know how you reactivate that life-giving power? Answer simple. You read your Bible. Because the Word of God is living and active and given to us. And Jesus is the Word. And this is the Word. And the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God in you. And I, Now, I'm not just talking about wake up and read the Bible for information, read it for facts. No, I'm not talking about filling your head with facts. You need to read it desiring to know him so you fill your heart with worship. You read it to want to serve the Lord so you fill your will with obedience. Look at John 5. It's right here. John 5, 39 and 40. It says, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. So he's saying, I've, I have, the life is in this. It's here, come to me. But he's saying, you refuse 
to come to me that you may have life. So don't refuse. Don't be like, ah, oh, there's got to be another way. There's got to be something else. It's simple. You go to the word and receive that life. He has life. He gives us life. He is life. Without Christ, everything, even reading your Bible, is, is death and leads to death. So, how do we prepare for the day of the Lord? One, you have to know what saves you. Two, you have to understand this spiritual resurrection. And to know that that's happened to you. And third, it's important to understand the physical resurrection. Now, before we get too far into this, let me just introduce this physical resurrection. Unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to deal with, there's a lot here. Um, and we can't deal with it all tonight. But look at verse 27. It says, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Notice in verse 25, he refers to himself as what? The son of, well, no, verse 25 says, truly, truly, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God. But then in verse 27, he says, do not, or 28, do not marvel at this, I'm sorry, no, it's 27, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Now, when you see something like that, you should be like, whoa, what's different, like, why is he using two different texts here? Why the distinction? And I think the point is this. God, in all of his justice and fairness, has judged man on the basis of man. Meaning, in other words, Christ knows us, doesn't he? He came to get the experience of living as a man. To be tried and tempted in every way that you are. In Hebrews 4.15 Yet he was without sin. So Christ knows. He understands. So it is the son of God who saves you because it had to be perfect deity on the cross to be able to pay for your sins. That had to be done by the son of God. But the person who's going to judge you is the son of man, meaning his full humanity that he lived with. He understands where you're coming from because he is gracious and he's kind. Do you understand that Jesus doesn't want you to come into judgment? 2 Peter 3.9 says that he doesn't wish that any would perish, but that all would come to the saving faith and repentance. God gave up his son. He sent his son into the world to save the world. He has come into this world to live the life that you and I lived but he did it perfectly he understands our weakness he understands our frailty he's given the holy spirit to convict the world of sin and execute power to save and he's patiently waiting for us to acknowledge him and to respond to him what what more could god do to make himself available for when you face judgment he's given us everything and that he's given us his son because this text shows that one day we're all going to be resurrected. And we're all going to stand before Christ. And he wants us to get prepared for that day. Look at verse 28. He says, do not marvel at this. 
Why do you think he says that? Why would somebody say, oh, don't marvel at what I'm about to tell you? Because what he's about to say is pretty marvelous or shocking, right? He's like, no, don't marvel at this. For an hour is coming and is now here that all the graves, all the people in the tombs will hear his voice. All that are in the graves, that's all the persons involved in the, in the physical resurrection. This is everybody. Everybody who ever died will be raised. Well, some people say, that's why I don't, I don't want to be cremated. Because I want my body to be whole so I can get resurrected a little bit faster so I stand at the front of the line. Well, you know, I don't know if that's good theology about that. Because for God, it's really not a problem. You know, I read this story of Lazarus, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus is like, you know, like, got toilet paper all wrapped around him, and like, hey, you know, unwrap him as he comes out. And, um, and then people, you know, like, well, he's going to stink, like, you know, you know, trying to unwrap him. And he comes, and he's there, and he's like, whoa, Lazarus was dead. Like, he was dead, dead, rotting. And now he's alive. And everybody's blown away by that. Jesus uses the same words that he says, come out. And all of the billions of people who have died, in all the different ways they have died, and the ones that are in the sea, and the fish have eaten them up and regurgitated them, and there's the people who have disintegrated, there's the astronauts who have blown up in space, I guess they will be preserved. Their bodies will be pretty preserved. So that's not a good example. But, because there's no oxygen in space, so there's no disintegration. Plus, you'll be frozen. <clears throat> Sorry, I won't nerd out anymore. So, so other than the people that are in space, it's going you know, to be really hard for God to resurrect all these people who have been disintegrating in the world, in the, in the earth. And then, what do you do about cremation? It's like totally burned and like turned into ash. God's Christ's power is so great when he says, come out. All those people in all their parts will then resurrect, come back into a new formation. And then they will stand before Christ. That is awesome power. And sometimes we don't understand that Christ created the world with that same speaking power. Right? He created the entire world. Right now, your life, as the scripture says, is held and sustained by the power of Jesus Christ. And so it's not a stretch that at the end of life when he says, come out, all the dead, come all back together and stand before him because Christ has that kind of power. It's unbelievable, unmatched, unfathomable power. That is the Christ that we serve. That is the one whom we worship. And notice... This is interesting. I just want to point this out as you study your Bible. This is the cool stuff to find in there. Notice in verse 28, 29, he says, Do not marvel this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs. You see that? But if you look back up, he says, An hour is coming, in verse 25, an hour is coming and is now here. And so in verse 25 and verse 28, there is a, there is a huge gap there. These are, two, these are talking about two different time slots, 
right? And so, if we could take a second, we got time. This is really cool. So I want to real quickly show you these two different time slots. So an hour is coming is now here, and an hour is coming one day. And this happens in 1 Corinthians 15. So 1 Corinthians 15, this is a fascinating verse. This is going to be way too deep to get into. So we're just going to kind of like, you know those aquarium or those like uh, aquariums that you like walk across the top and you can see down into the the ocean. Somebody was telling me about that earlier, wasn't it? Yeah, um, there's little uh, there's little rooms I can I think you can stay in Tahiti, and uh, you're under the water. You know, it's like a whole it's a whole aquarium. Anyway, that's all we're gonna do. We're just gonna look and see this. That's all. Okay, First Corinthians 15, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Okay, there you go. Different orders of people getting resurrected. Christ is the first fruits. Has Christ been resurrected? Does he have a resurrected body? You bet. Yep, he's the example. But then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So those who are believers, they are next in line to get their glorified spiritual bodies. That's a good reason to believe in Jesus Christ right there. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power for his reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. And he goes on. So you have these three phases. Phase one is complete. Jesus Christ has been resurrected. That is our hope. If he's been resurrected, then we will be resurrected. Phase two. Everybody who believes in Jesus Christ will be resurrected at his coming. Phase three, Jesus says, come out. And everybody who is left, all those who are dead, will stand before Christ for final judgment. You don't want to be in that last group. Because there's no more hope at that point. There's no more hope once you die. You have to get prepared before that day comes. And the problem is none of us know when our day of death is going to come. We have to get prepared now. Revelation 20 verse 5 says, The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. And so you have this Christ and you have believers and then you have this thousand year gap that Revelation 25, and we can talk about the different things that that means, but at the very end of time, all the other believers are going to be resurrected and, and stand before God to give an account. Now, I want to make a note in your mind. When you see hear his voice in 28, that is not the same hearing as verse 24 and 25. So one more time, looking at these two different times, when the believers are saved, in verse, um, if you go, I guess it doesn't help to be in 1 Corinthians. Back in John 5. John 5, verse, John 5, verse 24. Look, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him has eternal life. You're given spiritual resurrection right now. But then verse 28 says, an hour is coming when all those who are in the tombs will hear his voice. The first hear his voice is a spiritual reality that you can have happen in your heart right now. The second hear his voice is the reality of the power of Jesus Christ calling everyone into judgment. 
you want to make sure if you hear his voice on that first one, that you respond. Because as Psalm 95 says, do not harden your hearts in the day of judgment. You want to respond to the Lord when he is calling. This is what characterizes believers. And we will still stand before the Lord and it says that we will we will give an account for the good deeds that we've done for the, and for the ways that we have not fulfilled our obedience. But in that day, if you have tr- put your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, when you stand before Christ, it's not going to be judgment. It is going to be an award ceremony. And in that day, everybody's going to want to have as much rewards as possible. That's why Paul says, I run the race as though to win the prize. I want to give everything I have to this life to the Lord. I want to live in complete obedience as much as possible. I don't want to be turned away from sin, so I don't miss any opportunity for the Holy Spirit to use me. I don't want to be grieving the Spirit. I want Him to be active and alive in my life. So when I stand before Christ, like, well done, good and faithful servant. Your reward here, and your reward here, and your reward here, and your reward here. And you'll take those rewards, you'll say, thank you, Jesus. I couldn't have done it without you. And you have lots of rewards to give back to the Lord. 1 Corinthians also talks about people who do not live their lives faithful to the Lord. It says that they live, and they, they hide their talents, and they don't use the time that the Lord gave them. And they use what God's given them for the pleasures of sin. And when they get before the Lord, it says that, Fire will burn them up, and if it's hay and stubble, they won't be left with much. Though they will enter into heaven, they'll buy through fire. But that would be a sad day. It's still going to be amazing because you're going to be before the Lord, and you're going to be glorified, and it's going to be an award ceremony. But you're not going to be in a position like the Chiefs will be on Sunday. Sorry, that was probably not the best place to fit that in, but it's not... And uh, this is a bad example. But Patrick Mahomes said, I've been in the Super Bowl twice, and I'll tell you, it's a lot better to win it than when you lose. And that's kind of what it's like. To get, do you get to, do you get to eternity, you've believed in Jesus Christ, you get to eternity, you get to the Super Bowl, but there is, winning it is a lot better than just coming up short and your life didn't count for as much as you wanted it to for the Lord. I'll end with this thought, and this wasn't in my notes. The Lord just brought this to my mind. You know the verse that says, in that day he will wipe away every tear? You know what I'm talking about? When you stand before the Lord. And I've always asked myself, what, what are the tears? What are those tears that we're talking about? Because like, you're in heaven, right? You're, you're glorified. You're before, you see Christ face to face. There's no more veil. How can there be tears in that moment? And I believe the tears come. And there will be more tears from, for some than from others. That we realize the reality of eternity is now right before us. And it's like, that was the only shot I had. That life I just lived, that was the only moment I would have for all of eternity to honor the Lord. That was my only opportunity to turn from sin and obey Christ. I'm in heaven now. I'm going to obey him 
perfectly. Praise the Lord, hallelujah, that'll be wonderful. But that was my only shot to give all myself for my will to be transfixed with who Jesus was, to turn away from this world and to love him with everything I had. And in that moment, that reality will hit us and we will weep because we realized how much we lost, how much we sacrificed to serve ourselves instead of to serve Christ and further his kingdom. And I really believe that as you spend time here on this earth discipling and saving people, that's, that's the community you're going to have in heaven. And if you don't have communion here on earth, if you're not seeing people come to Christ, if you're not discipling people, if you're not interacting with people on a spiritual level, when you get to heaven, it's going to be less awesome and intense because you will not have made as an impact. So that moment when you stand before the Lord, there will be tears. And yet God in his grace, Jesus Christ, will reach down and he'll wipe away your tears. He'll enter you in to a wonderful rest and eternity with him. But I do think it's important to live this life now in light of eternity. Yet this little, this little moment, this little dot in life, and yet eternity is forever. So let's live this life for him. Let's prepare for the day of the Lord. Why don't you close your eyes? One day soon, you are going to be standing before Christ, give an account of your priorities. Do you, do you see yourself standing there? He's going to ask you about your pursuits, your pleasures. Today, today maybe be the best day you will have for the rest of your life to evaluate your heart in this area. I strongly implore you, peer into your heart. What do you see? Hold yourself accountable. Prepare yourself for the day of the Lord. If it's too hard and you're like, man, there's some dark spots in there. Man, I'm having a hard time being honest about this thing that has me trapped. Then find somebody else tonight. Find a stronger believer tonight. And help them break down these parts in your life to shine light. To get prepared now for the day of the Lord. Because right now. Only you and God knows what's in your heart. You're the only ones who can see that. So Lord, thank you for the proclamation of your word and how we can prepare for the day of the Lord. I pray that from our hearts there will be no anger or resentment, but that we will have the loving submission to you that you molded in relationship with your Father. Help us to remember all that Jesus has done in his broken body, his shed blood, to ensure our forgiveness. Stir a fresh love and adoration for you as we spend time together tonight. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.